0: Shooting it raw? Yes. Shooting it raw.
1: I was in Prince Edward County. I was on my way back from Ottawa because I was there for the book expo. And I, a friend of mine has a place in Prince Edward County. So I rented it for a few days um, to get some writing done, but also to help break up the drive. And, I had zero cell service the entire time I was there. Mm-hmm. The power was in and out. The internet was in and out. And <laughs> I was incommunicado.
0: You're back home.
1: Exactly. And you're safe. Yes.
0: It's good.
1: Yeah, but you know what? It actually, because I, you know, it wasn't long term, it was actually nice not to be able to use the phone for a few days
0: yeah it was a, it was a growth experience a growth experience yeah yeah
1: yeah no no, but it, it it was good sometimes it's nice not to be reached, but I felt terrible that like in mid sentence like everything <laughs> just went off, and I was just like, what
0: so okay, so now we have to see how this is going to be uh how this is going to shape and evolve and i on the curve of experience, this has never happened okay uh if do you want to go back to the photo or do you want to just take up from where we were
1: yeah let's pick up from where from where we were yeah Fantastic. i was on a podcast like during the pandemic where my phone kept cutting out mm-hmm. and And I had to keep calling back. And the guy, like, there was, like, dead air that he had to fill. And I'm like, are you going to edit this? And he's like, no, that's too (laughs) time-consuming.
0: That's awesome. Okay, I will edit a little.
1: (laughs) Well, even if you don't, it's okay. I've done it all.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay. Um, Well, just to jump back in, the photo was called The Theater is My Temple.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: How about you talk about, can you remember the photo?
1: Yes, I do remember the photo. I took it when I was in Verona in Italy. Mm -hmm. And I was in Europe. I was at the Cannes Film Festival with one of my films, (gasps) with a short film that I did. And after the festival, I decided to take a week and visit Italy. It might've been more than a week. Maybe it was two weeks. Because I went to Florence, Verona, Venice, and Milan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that I took that photo in Verona. It was so beautiful. and so yes, <laughs> getting back to the theater, I'm, I'm imagining the yeah, trip right now and imagining great. the space and, and that particular venue. So yeah, the theater is my temple because from the beginning of time, the theater existed in a religious setting in ancient Mm -hmm. Greece and Rome. Mm -hmm. And it was part of their religious festivals, these Dionysian festivals, and they would put on plays. And that's how they would describe the stories of the gods explaining nature, explaining, you know, our purpose and what we're doing here and over thousands and thousands of years, whatever religion, pick any religion, but most temples have some sort of stage or Mm -hmm. altar Mm -hmm. in the center or the front. And it's on that stage that we discuss difficult topics we talk about what our purpose is, we talk about what our fears are, what our, you know, we basically talk about our lives and how we connect to something greater than ourselves. And I think that's what the purpose of theatre is.
0: <sighs> Jen, you're, so, so in, in terms of my world of training and, you know, what we call service leadership, is this notion that one huge component about you as a service leader is giving yourself to something that is bigger than yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Like that touches a a deeper need. And I mean, maybe it's a cliche and it's quite common to make the connection between theater and temples or, 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 sites or the sacred, but you know, You had said this last time and it stayed in my head. So when you're walking in a space like this, that is clearly hundreds or a thousand plus years old, and you're like looking around going, okay, there were people like me just a thousand years ago, having moving experiences. How do you feel incorporating that space as somebody who's really learned about theater and learned about communicating story?
1: Any theater is a sacred space to me, just like any um, place of worship would be a sacred space to me, regardless of if it was my religion or somebody else's. Those are sacred spaces. And I believe the theater is also a sacred space because we're actually able, especially today, when we live in a society that's completely polarized
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we're being forced Onto one side or the other, you know, there's something happening. There's something in the ether right now where there's no gray areas anymore, which is ridiculous mm. because the whole world is one gray area. And I feel like the theater is a place that's almost a sanctuary where you can discuss these taboo topics that would get you canceled in real life mm-hmm. because okay. you can create characters from both sides of the of the spectrum. And you can have these characters interact. And one of my favorite quotes of all times is from George Bernard Shaw, the famous playwright. And he said that theater will always exist because society will always have the need to reflect on itself. And the theater, unlike film and television, is not mass media. Right you are only catering to a very finite number of people that can fit into your theater. And your, your production is usually going on for a limited amount of time.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, there are the anomalies like, you know, I think Agatha Christie's Mousetrap has been running over 50 years in London, but that's the exception. You know, and even the, the shows on Broadway that run years at a time compared to the number of productions that are going on a year, that's like the 1%, you know, the bro- yeah. those Broadway shows that run for years are the 1%. Yeah. And then there's the, you know, the next tier down, which is like the 10% that, you know, maybe run and tour and go to different places in the world. But a lot of these plays just get a six week run and never really go anywhere from there. And these are mm-hmm. small theaters in the East village or you know, out in North Hollywood that don't attract these huge masses of people, but they're definitely tackling subjects that are important and that wouldn't get an opportunity to be voiced on a larger scale.
0: So the, the notion of a temple, when you go in and you're presented with your know, taboo subjects as you said or or
1: well taboo today is just being on the right wrong side of politics
0: right right right
1: depending on who you're talking to
0: okay this is what happens on the podcast like i'll have people over who've spent years like their brain has been in one area like tin welding welding or something you know something really that i haven't i know nothing about and okay i've done a bit of stage stuff and i've thought a lot about what it's like to be on stage and to be perceived by an audience to to inhabit your head to understand like the connection of what's the magic of of theater because you you know connecting the word sacred and the temple and well
1: let's start off with ritual yeah okay okay so when we go when we go to a temple there's a ritual Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of we know when we walk into this space, we're going to alter our behavior in a certain way, whether you're going to a church or um, a temple, a mosque, a synagogue. You know, when you before you go in the door, you prepare yourself in a different way. You okay. probably will even dress a different way to show respect because sure. you're you're going to connect with a, a higher spiritual power. So not that we're going to theater to connect with a higher spiritual power, but there is kind of a ritual. And depending on the venue of the theater, people do tend to get a little dressed up. And then they come in and they sit down. And there's an etiquette that everybody follows. Just like an etiquette when you go to temple, you know, mm-hmm. whether, you know, in temple, it's, you know, you stand up for certain prayers, you kneel for certain prayers, you bow your head, you go take communion, you know, there's certain rituals that happen. And in the theater, there's definitely rituals for both the performers and the audience, you know, mm-hmm. even, even the cues of, of applauding or standing yep. up for standing ovation or you know everybody's silent nobody really talks you know phones have to go off and especially like as soon as the lights dim the hush comes over the crowd yep. you know so so there are not the same rituals but there's definitely a ritualistic you know kind of format of of mm-hmm. going to the theater and there and definitely for the actors there's rituals right. that we do before we get on the stage there's rituals we do to prepare there are um, rituals, you know, just with us connecting as a team before we go on. There are certain, th- you know, like a lot, of a, a lot of productions, like we'll do a power circle before right. we do the play. And we have to make sure that we, we have time to do the power circle because you, there's a little bit of superstition involved yeah. and things yeah. like that. And I really do, I, the plays that have endured, the theater pieces that have endured over time, are ones that offer the audience some sort of either catharsis, spiritual experience, inspiration, something that gets them out of themselves.
0: Sure. As just you're talking and I'm thinking and, and making connections. So as somebody who's been on the stage and who is uh, doing the, the kind of the action of bringing life to, to script or whatever it is that, is meant to elicit an, an, a reaction in, in the, the receiver, the viewer, or the audience. Mm-hmm. Like, can you describe a moment or time where you're really conscious of, um, of a kind of a change in the room where where all the ingredients were just right, that it almost felt like a mystical experience? Either I mean, either you could talk about a time when you went and you were in the audience, but I think it's even more interesting to find out Have you ever been on stage where it's like you transcended the moment of... of
1: Yes. Yes. And I'm going to quote Danny DeVito, um, the actor. I love um, it. Because he describes it, and this is like the best... This is the best way I've ever heard an actor describe it. He Uh describes it as when you're working and all of a sudden your feet lift up off the ground. Yeah. Because you're no longer based in the reality of like the world that Mm -hmm. we live in, but all of a sudden your feet lift off the ground and the reality of the, of the world of the play becomes so real for you. It's like you're Mm. floating, you know, it's exactly, it becomes this kind of transcendence. And I have had a couple of experiences like that on stage. The first time I'll talk about the first time that ever happened for me. I Played a really challenging role. I was living in New York. I was I was 25. And at this point, like this was like the biggest opportunity I had had in my career. And I was playing a, a mentally challenged girl who ends up getting raped and murdered. And hmm. the rape scene was on stage. Oh, wow. And I just... I remember, like, just something taking over my body, you know, and just, like, sounds coming out of me that I'm, like, where are these things, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, the mm-hmm. way my body was stiffening and reacting and the sounds. And and it was actually interesting because the producer of the show only watched the entire play once. And I got, you know, and I started noticing that he would leave after the first half of the play because we were doing the show several shows a week for several weeks. And I remember, you know, after that first week, I went to the director and I said, what's going on? Like, because I I guess I I just let this thing Mm -hmm. take over me. You know, and it wasn't really conscious anymore. It's like you Mm -hmm. do your prep, you do your backstory, you know, you walk yourself through these emotional, like you build these fake emotional Mm -hmm. memories, but you build them in a way that you can recall them and and they help you trigger the moment on stage. And... And the director said, oh, yeah, he said he, he just can't watch you do that more than once. It's just too much. And I was sure. like,
0: oh,
1: because <laughs> I thought he thought mm-hmm. I sucked. I'm like, what? I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Why am I... I'm like working so hard out there. What's going on? <laughs> um, you know, but that was that was what we were trying to achieve. Sure. Of, course.
0: of course. You know,
1: like that torture, that torturous, like blood curdling Mm-hmm. And um, so, so that was definitely one of the first times, because that was that was the most challenging role. It was my biggest role at that point. Yeah, you know, you don't get offered everything the day you show up. No, of course, of <laughs> it course. takes a few years, you know, until you actually get meteor roles or bigger parts and stuff. So, so that definitely was was one of them. And then there was another project I was working on, um, a few years later. And I remember, um, sorry, I'm just recalling
0: this. this, this. <laughs> I, I can see it on your, uh, for the listener, <laughs> for I can see on her face that Jen is losing herself to the moment. <laughs> and I don't want to interrupt.
1: No, that's okay. It's okay. I just, you know, I just noticed I'm, because... I'm staring off into space and you're
0: just like, what is she doing? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, I because in my head, when, you, when that happened, I was like, we're going to need some kind of palate cleanser <laughs> to go from the rape of a challenged woman, young woman on stage yeah. to the next photo.
1: Yes. Yeah. So let me do, so no, but even like, you know, Please. there were even times I, there was one, there was another production that I was working on where my love, I was playing a love scene and the guy who was playing my boyfriend, like in, in real life, he, he's gay. Yeah. And, you know, so obviously not attracted to me, like, you know, but, but we were able to conjure this chemistry that was just that, like, I got even, I was confused when, when we finished. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, did we have something?
0: (laughs) It was was acting, darling. It was just acting.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but sometimes it gets really real.
0: No, for sure. Well, that line is not a line.
1: Yeah, it's true. And, you know, and, and that's the other thing too. I think almost, almost every actor I've had intense moments with at work, Mm -hmm. they've stayed in my life for some reason, because it's like you, you hit, you know, even though the connection is, even though the script is not real, Mm. the connection between the two souls oh, for sure is real well
0: yeah you definitely you've you created a, a, a powerful anchor in your own shared human experience that
1: yes connects you yes exactly exactly
0: shall we go on to the next photo sure <laughs> uh, yes
1: let's move Jen, on Jen, what are
0: you doing like like we just <laughs> went straight up the gate boom i
1: know well i y- love you it know. I'm a lot to handle.
0: (laughs) No, this is just right.
1: Okay, good.
0: So I love the fact that, that this period of time happens where we meet, we make one connection, time happens, life happens, we come back. And then these anchors are your photos. So it's just like, yeah, yeah. But for me, it's just like, oh, okay. So it's called Head in the Clouds. And... It's shot through the, the the window of a jet. And there are all these beautiful, beautiful clouds over what well, seems to be ocean. I think it's over ocean. It's not just one empty kind of field, but there are lots of broken up clouds. It's very magical. Mm-hmm. And I think as humans, we, kind of, we take it for granted that, uh, well, yeah, we could, we're going to fly over to London or fly out to Hong Kong or whatever and just cross the planet. But... It's astounding to be able to see that kind of sight. So your head in the clouds, do tell.
1: Um, yeah, I believe I took that photo just on one of my, one of the flights I was on. I don't even think it was like going to Europe or anywhere crazy, but I just looked out the window and I think there's like some hues of pink and some mm-hmm. different colors in the sky. And like you said, it was just such a magical image and I wanted to capture it. I am pretty um, fascinated by clouds in the sky. I'm looking up a lot of the times and I'm always seeing different shapes in the clouds. And I feel very inspired when I look up mm-hmm. because it's just a reminder of, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. Mm. You know, there's... Way bigger things out there than me and my very myopic view of the world, mm-hmm. and I love things that remind me that you know being self-involved too much of the time is doesn't serve me, nor does mm-hmm. it serve anyone around me. Right. So that's what that represents. So the head in the clouds thing. And also, like, on the on the flip side of the coin, I am such a daydreamer. So when I was a <laughs> child, my mother would always tell me my head was in the clouds. And right. I never had a problem with that. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, it is. I'm a dreamer. I'm a creative. I'm a writer. My head is in the clouds.
0: Okay. So one of the things that... Okay, so I moved to Hong Kong and for the first few years, having this crisis of like moving there from Montreal, where Montreal was super creative, going to Hong Kong was super um, uh, commercial and- and, and Very
1: business oriented, very bottom line, right?
0: And in my work later, one of the things that we we started realizing was that the mindset that helps people get out of the mud is one that basically focuses on uh, your competence and you know just basically your actions and what you do mm-hmm. and but the thing is that the sides of your personality which are for example your tendency to dream or your creative side or the the, le- the less sort of pragmatic like in, in countries like Canada and the U.S. where people have the extra leisure and the extra resources to actually sit back and go okay well what do I want to do for me mm-hmm. then it's a lot of there's more space to dream and to look at the sky and so for a place like, like Hong Kong, which is all or it was for the longest time, it was all about making a buck. Mm-hmm. There wasn't that release of, of self-discovery. So take us back to when you were a kid, because the fact that you'd walk around staring in the cloud, in the sky and whatever. How much did your parents suffer that, indulge it or encourage it?
1: Okay, you touched on a couple of really interesting things.
0: <laughs> I have a tendency to talk for a while and then the person goes, I think what you mean, no, no. I don't know. So you figure it out.
1: <laughs> so the first thing you talked about, I'm going to get to, to my yeah, parents sure. and when I Perfect. was younger in a second. But um, when you were talking about when people are stuck, is putting that, you know, what, what helps them get out of it is something tangible that they can achieve. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that 100%. So I used to be an athlete. And one of, the, one of my saving graces is when I feel like I'm spinning out, um, mm-hmm. you know, when I don't have control, when, when, you know, I'm not getting the calls or I'm getting, re- you know, this getting rejected, like my book was rejected so many mm-hmm. times before it actually got out into the world. I'm so grateful to be able to do something physical and feel yeah. strong physically. because when you're in your head, you can spin out and feel helpless and there's nothing that can ground you. So doing exercises, whether it's going on a hike, doing a hard yoga class, you know, even like doing some push-ups or you know do, holding a handstand against the wall for two minutes. like whatever it is, really helps me ground myself and come back, come back Mm -hmm. down to reality and be like, okay, my feet are on the ground. I am in this room. I, you know, like physically I am capable. I'm a capable person. Like my brain might not be able to figure out this particular problem at this particular moment, but that's just a very small facet of of my essence, of who I am. Yeah,
0: of your experience. Of my experience. You know, so
1: so I love that you said that about like, you know, doing something physical. And then in terms of the dreaminess, so you are 100% right about living in the West, we have the luxury of being Mm -hmm. able to dream. So I'm, I'm half Tunisian. My mother is from Tunis, Tunisia. Oh, wow. So I'm first generation on my mother's side. I'm second generation on my father's side. My father's family's from Poland. So my grandparents had no choice. They came as immigrants and they had to do whatever it took to scrape by. They had to learn. the. They came here. They had to learn the language. They had to learn the culture. They had to learn how to assimilate. Raising family. Raising kids. My My family, my mother's side of the family are six kids. You know, nobody even has six kids today. And, um,
0: (laughs) except for the Australians. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah.
1: No, it's different. Well, that's the thing. People coming from other countries, immigrants have six kids. Right, right. right. Canadian citizens don't. Sure, Uh, Sure. You know, as common, you know, and then my mother. So, my mother was also an immigrant. She was born outside of the country. So, she also didn't have the luxury. She had a little more agency than her parents did because Mm -hmm. she came um, as a young person as opposed to coming as an adult. So, but she still had to learn the language, had to learn the culture. So there's a disadvantage. And also she had to go to work. She had to go work in the family business. She didn't have the luxury of going to university.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, she started to go to York and then her father said, no, I need you to come. Like, I need Mm -hmm. you to, to come and help the business is growing and I need more, I need more help. And that's just what you did. So the fact that I was born in Canada, that alone gives me a huge privilege and a huge advantage in terms of being able to decide like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to get a regular job. I am not mm-hmm. going to, you know, go sit in an office. I'm a creative and I'm going to honor that and nurture that and go for that. I've definitely had a dozen regular jobs. I've mm-hmm. I've worked in mm-hmm. restaurants. I've worked in offices. I've done all of that. But that's always been the side hustle. Sure, It's never yes. been the forefront of my life. But I definitely agree that... I never would have had any of those opportunities had my family not built a foundation for me sure. that allowed yeah. me to be the dreamer. And, um, you know, and it's funny because I, I, I did pretty well in school and I had a, an aptitude for athletics. So I was a, I was an athlete for many, many years of my life. Mm. And, um, Yeah. And I think both my parents, you know, just like every generation, you want to give your children more than you had. You want to give them more opportunities. You want to give them more fun. You want to give them more education. So I benefited from that. And definitely my parents were hard on me. My parents were very strict. Like there was Mm -hmm. no such thing like, you know, B- bees were not acceptable <laughs>
0: in school mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know
1: um, so in terms of academics and and just you know cleaning up after myself, making sure the dishes were washed the beds were made every morning you know we had our our responsibilities um but i I definitely was given I was given the opportunity to dream also
0: but it's also it's also great that you're able to get off the track of, of um, the functional dimension, which is, okay, I am a working unit, and my hands and feet together work to produce labor that is, you know, seven hours a day, and they go into a factory and all this stuff, but then you're like, no, 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 we're just going to, they work really hard, so you can separate yourself from that, and make your own Meaning for life, like make your own sort of uh, Mm -hmm. understanding of just life by going into something that some people would say is Quite frivolous, which is theater. Yeah, writing let me writing some people say well You could be a writer but an actor typically it's like if we think negatively about actors It's like they're they're paid to or not paid. Their their livelihood is to Inhabit and pretend to be not themselves.
1: Yes and Sorry, hey, go ahead. Way. No, I interrupted. No, no, you. no, please. Yes. It's all about you. So um so yeah, like both my parents worked very hard. My father was in construction. Well, he still is. He's semi-retired because he's older now. And mm-hmm. you know, I like y- last year, I think I like yelled at him. He like lifted a sealed door and hurt himself. And I'm like, <laughs>
0: why are you lifting you're too old to lift
1: anything why are you lifting things? you know and my mom had a bakery for over wow. 20 years and then retired to take care of her mom when her mom got sick wow. you know so everybody worked really hard it, you know when i when i say i benefited from the privilege of being born in canada and i definitely i saw my parents struggle i saw them work hard i saw them struggle so I always had a really good work ethic. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I have
0: to make, sorry, So the reason why I'm making all these sounds like I'm interrupting is because <clears throat> the way the, the world and life is, I find myself moving from Hong Kong back to Canada. I now live in, in uh, Vancouver. Uh, I have two roommates, which is a really weird thing to be like pushing 50 and then having roommates. And one of my roommates is an actor mm-hmm. in movies and TV and stuff. And if, so when people say, oh yeah, my, like, well, yeah, like you say, like my my parents worked really hard and whatever, the life you have is really hard. It is not yeah. given.
1: Yeah. It
0: is really hard.
1: Yeah, and that's a lot of my friends acknowledge, like I work harder than anyone they know
0: it's um, you know, I'm not,
1: I'm, not at a, I'm not partners at a law firm, I'm not a doctor, I'm not curing cancer, but when people have cancer and they're going through chemo, when they're at home, what do they do? They watch movies. Exactly. They watch movies to make them feel better. They watch movies to distract them from their own, you know, situation. And it's funny because, yes, on the one hand, everybody thinks it's frivolous until I pose one question. This is my favorite question when people try and diminish what I do. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen a movie or read a book or heard a song that changed your life? Across the board, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We are all affected. We are affected by... Great movies, we are affected by great books, we are affected by great songs, and these become important factors in our lives. They Mm -hmm. help inspire us. How many of us put on a specific playlist when we need to go hard or when we need to, when we're in the car going to an important interview? How many of us? we'll put on a movie because we need to relate to what that character is going through at that moment, or we need Mm -hmm. to laugh or we need to get outside of our heads. And I like quoting people. So one of my favorite authors is Tom Robbins and in his book, still life with woodpecker. Mm -hmm. One of the quotes is the purpose of the artist is to create or is to provide that which life, does not
0: nice
1: and artists have purpose we have purpose in the world i will defend that till the day i die and maybe i haven't hit my stride yet and maybe i haven't hit that masterpiece yet and yes not every actor has a shot at that great role or will ever do a great movie or a great play but until you try you never know
0: yes all I can say is yes, yes, yes. I'm so behind you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I completely agree because when I ask people this the similar question, which is, you know, has anybody in the world ever looked at a, a copyright law decision that didn't bring them to tears? I mean, who says no? <laughs> sorry sorry i'm an idiot yes
1: no it's hilarious (laughs) okay but you know you're
0: totally right you're totally right um head in the clouds i love it i love it uh and i love the energy and the fact that you are we going to talk about your book sure okay should we move on to the next photo have you set this up is the next photo gonna because i want to talk about your book as well
1: yeah well i whatever you want i'm i'm game
0: So, you're you're gonna have to help me with this one. Okay. So it's called New York State of Mind.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So the photograph is a of a one of the I guess the subways outdoor train subways
1: above ground in Queens facing New York City with the city skyline behind the subway. Is that
0: how long ago was this? Because I think I can see the the uh, what's called the um not the chrysler building the empire state building mm-hmm. but is this post or before 9-11 it's
1: oh like- that's after 9-11 but yeah. i'm sure but it's over 10 years old so i'm sure okay. the skyline has changed considerably
0: for sure for yeah
1: sure. they're so new york has so many buildings that are almost twice the size of the chrysler building now it's right. crazy right. yeah on billionaire row they have all these crazy huge buildings
0: so in the photographs, like one third of it is sky with clouds. So it's beautifully composed. Whoever made the photo knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the It's afternoon lights. And there's like a, a train going across. And, and the, the shadows kind of really make that train pop. It's kind of greenish. There's the skyline in the background. It looks like it's fall.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fall, yeah.
0: Um, Very
1: observant.
0: <laughs> thank you. I'm using my eyes. Okay, so <laughs>
1: <laughs> really, you're not looking at the photo with your feet? <laughs>
0: yeah, there you go. Um, so, New York State of Mind, uh, Jen, you're you're setting us up. What what are you setting us up toward?
1: Oh, I'm just always nostalgic towards New York. Like, oh, okay, New, New York. So, I moved to New York right after university. I. Very much maintain that New York is where I became who I am. Okay. I lived at home when I went to York. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raised quite sheltered, uh, you know, religious, private schools, being carpooled. I lived mm. uh, um, outside of the city in an isolated area, so I couldn't even walk and take the bus. That just wasn't oh, wow. an option. So New York is where I was finally able to spread my wings. I was able to find my creative compatriots, other people like me that accepted me. So Mm -hmm. I went to a private school and we were kind of groomed to all become doctors and lawyers and accountants and professionals. And I just it just wasn't for me. I knew that at the time. I knew that even before I was in high school, like I started writing quite young. So, I knew that this, I just didn't fit in here. So, New York represents a place that just accepts me as I am mm-hmm. and values me as an artist. Right. And that's how I feel about New York. And then, you know, all the other nostalgic, romantic things that we've all seen, in, in, you know, in the movies and stuff about mm-hmm. New York City. And mm-hmm. I've just had so many magical moments there. I try that's to spend great. as much time there as possible, yeah.
0: Okay. Is that where you wrote?
1: So, okay. So my... segueing to the book. <laughs> so this... <laughs> that's, that's, this was
0: is that I don't know.
1: And, see, and we have the New York City skyline.
0: Okay, so you're holding up a book. It says... Uh, Year, Year of, the, of what? the what? Year of the what?
1: Yes, so... After I I lived in New York for several years, I had an opportunity to move to Los Angeles and get into film and television, and I wanted to give it a shot. And after about a year and a half of pounding the pavement and not really getting into any of the doors I was trying to get into, somebody suggested I write myself a one-woman show as a vehicle. Mm -hmm. And that one-woman show... Is now my best-selling and award-winning novel. The show was titled Year of the Slut. Mm-hmm. I did I workshopped it in LA. I did it in New York. I won an award for it there. And then um, I was encouraged to adapt it into a novel.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: original title was censored. I had to change the title and then right. relaunch and rebrand. But it, it ended up being a wise decision because just changing one word in the title allowed it to get the exposure that it deserved. And mm-hmm. now it, it's had many accolades It won the gold medal at the global book awards for coming of age books. It won the bronze medal at the independent publishing awards for romance books Mm -hmm. Um, and several other awards. I don't need to go into detail about, but Mm -hmm. it's been super exciting. So the book takes place in New York city Nice, because when I wrote it, I wrote it about the play is about a naive girl from Canada who Mm -hmm. moves to New York and is kind of a fish out of water And is looking for love after her first major major breakup, Mm. and um, it's her dating misadventures trying to find the one. Right. So, yeah. So it the book takes place in New York, and um, it's just it's just such a special place in my heart that city.
0: (laughs) Ah, year of the what? Formerly, year of the slut, but mm-hmm. is the is the is the play still seeing the light of day, or is that no? I, okay.
1: it was a one woman show. I played ten characters, and it was fun at the time, but also lonely because mm. one of the things that's like one of my favorite things about being an actor is getting to play with other actors.
0: Right, right, right.
1: So I'm I'm so grateful that I did it, and I was able to prove to myself that I could play 10 completely different characters
0: Mm -hmm.
1: on one stage in an hour and a half that I could actually do a show for an hour and a half. And the audience doesn't leave after 20 minutes because it's terrible or boring. So I was able to really prove to myself that, that this is what I was meant to do with my life. And even, You know, because I did the show, I had been at it because I started started performing uh, in university. I started um, taking acting classes and, you know, it was almost a good 10 years before Mm -hmm. I did the show and my parents, like, never got it. Like, they were never behind me. They never Uh, were, you know, they're like, just come home, go back to school, get your master's, get a real job, like... You know, have stability in your life, um, mm-hmm. which are all good and fine and sound advice for a parent to give a child. Sure. Unless the child knows that they are born to be a creative beast yeah, and there's yeah, nothing yeah. that can restrain that. So <laughs> so the play, um, after I won the award for it in New York, I kind of felt like it's run its course. Yep. In terms of, like, I was just, I just wasn't interested in doing it anymore. I proved sure. to myself. My mom came to New York and saw it. She finally acknowledged, like, okay, mm. now I get it. Now oh, I understand. Okay. Because okay. she also, the fact that I played all these characters, I wrote it. I did mm-hmm. everything myself. She finally, like, it was blatantly in front of yeah, her. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. your daughter has talent. <laughs> you know? As opposed to watching, like, other plays where i have sure. some little bit role that's not a great production
0: mm-hmm, because mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. i said
1: it's not like you show up and people just give you work give
0: it to you it's, yeah yeah you yeah. know
1: you got to work your way up through the small roles and the mediocrity the mediocre productions to get to the almost good productions then to sure. get to the better productions and you know sure. and if you're lucky and stick with it long enough, then you get to do some great productions.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it,
1: it, it's a it's a long road. So yeah, so so the play is not going on. The book is is.
0: Um, I'm just so excited about the idea of your your training is about being on a stage and connecting with an audience that is in the room. And as you said earlier, like in theater versus you know a, a kind of a temple it's live and that's the kind of the, mm-hmm. the jeopardy, right? Yes,
1: like, yes. You don't get a so, second take.
0: Mm-hmm. And how different that is from the writing process, which mm. is you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's actually quite a lonely moment where at best <laughs> you're neurotically creating characters that you're invested in. So do you feel like you're, you transitioned from acting to writer is, is kind of, are you going, have you gone back to writing?
1: I've been bouncing back and forth. So I actually started writing when I was eight. I was in love with Zach Morris on Saved by the Bell. And I started writing like fan fiction scripts where mm-hmm. like I got to go to Bayside and be his girlfriend. So that's, <laughs> so I started writing at a young age knowing that writing would help me get to performance. Okay. It was so weird that at eight, you know, mm-hmm. and at 12, I was actually able to articulate. I, at oh, 12 wow. years old, there was, there was someone at summer camp who I told my dream is to write my own movies and be in them. Mm-hmm. So even at 12, at this point in time, you know, like you're middle school, like you have no agency, no autonomy in your life, but I knew yeah. that I wanted to be an actor and that I wanted to be able to write the stories that I got wow. to be in. Um, of course, as an actor, you want to be in everybody's stories. It's not sure. just the ones that I write. It's like, yes, hire me, please. <laughs> you know, I would, love, mm-hmm. I would love to be on a sitcom. I'd love to be yeah. on a drama. I'd love to be <laughs> in the movies, like anything. Because that's just the nature of the industry.
0: Sure.
1: But I also knew that there was going to be that other element that I was going to be writing scripts whether they were for stage or for screen. And I wrote my first movie script when I was 12. I wrote my first official one because at this point in time, I've written six feature film scripts. But that first one that I wrote, wow. I was 19 and I wrote it when I was going to York and it, I, I because I knew when I got to New York, I wanted to have like a, a feature film script with
0: me. That, that is like, yeah, keep going.
1: Yeah, so, so the writing and the performance always kind of came in tandem. And that this is part of why my head was always in the clouds when I was a child, because I would be daydreaming myself into these scripts and stories mm-hmm. that I wanted mm-hmm. to write. So um, I definitely flip-flop because the pandemic in the past few years, I have not had the opportunity to perform as much as I would like. Sure. I shot a little promo video Um in March for my friend's um lifestyle brand. She designs these workout, um workout outfits.
0: So that hasn't
1: aired yet. Oh Oh, yes, my so my friend Nita Marquez has (laughs) this amazing (laughs) company called On the Mark. On the Mark. So on the mark jumpsuits are what you can Google if any of you ladies out there want a one piece workout jumpsuit that you don't have to completely take off in order to go to the bathroom. She's got this special patent that you could just pull down the tush Mm -hmm. and go to the bathroom as opposed to having to like take off the straps and pull down the whole leotard, which is the number one thing that deters women from wearing a one piece because it gets a little troublesome. So we did a promo for that. That hasn't come out yet. And then I also shot... A short film that I wrote a few years ago, a friend oh, nice. of mine directed it and produced it in LA in August. He asked me a few years ago for like, if there was a script that, I, mm-hmm. that he could have, like something that I wrote that I don't necessarily mm-hmm. need to be a part of. So I gave that to him and it's a short little comedy and we're just oh, in wow. the finishing touches. We're okay. getting ready to send it to some film festivals. Oh, so it's nice. not going to air online. Basically, if if you are, if you post your film online, that mm-hmm. disqualifies it from getting into festivals. Sure. So it'll probably be a year or two before we'll post it online. We want to do some festivals first.
0: Nice. I hope that, okay, so my daughter is 11, mm-hmm. and she is extremely uh, creatively oriented. You know, be it dance and Wonderful. singing and all this stuff. Yeah, for sure. And... However she's made, I could totally see her express herself in a way that is fully aligned with how you speak. How do we connect your experience and, for example, your, your, your knowledge and, and the, the trials and the, and the challenge of your life to a parent or to a person who recognize themselves in that? Like, how can we give them that little kernel of something that says, you just keep going, don't stop?
1: Yeah, I think um, you have to honor who your child is as opposed to who you wish them to be. I think there are a lot of parents out there and definitely they have their child's best interest at heart like i understand my parents were not deterring me from the entertainment business because they were being mean but because Mm -hmm. it is a it is a doozy of a business
0: (laughs) it's really hard It's,
1: it's hard to be successful and even if you are successful you know then there's the privacy factor or the people everyone wanting a piece of you or scandals you know because people are trying to ride your coattails or yeah you know, there's you're so exposed in that world. So I would definitely say you, you, you need to honor the individual that's in front of you. And every child, just like every human, is going to be an individual.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I know we like to say like, oh, well, you know, she's only eight or she's only 11. Like she can change her mind 10 times. And it's like, sure. yes, children can change their mind 10 times. But if they express an interest, nurture the interest until yep. they're no longer interested. Sure. You know, like um, my niece loved karate. She was really, really, really into karate. It was her thing. She was going two, three times a week. She was working her way up. I think she had like her purple belt. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic happened and it was interrupted. Her, cl- yep. her lessons were interrupted. And she never and she's not interested in going back to karate. She's interested in basketball now. Okay. And basketball is now her thing. And who knows that if it's because she's at an age where she wants to be more social and basketball right. is where all her friends are, but that's a thing. I I don't have children yet, but I see parents. It's like children go through stages. It's like they're they're totally, this is their sport, this is their thing. Or like they're totally into Harry Potter. And then it like flips on a dime. They're not into it anymore. Now they want to, now they're into this other thing. And so what? Yep, I agree. Nurture what they're doing as they're interested in it. And if they lose interest, they lose interest. And the thing is, it's like it's at this stage of the game, it's a minimal investment. You know, And even with extracurricular, most children, they're going to be in some sort of extracurricular thing at the time. Mm -hmm. Does it matter that you've spent X amount in karate and now it's basketball and not karate? No, because basketball costs money too. It's like you have a budget, you're spending X amount on extracurricular. It doesn't matter if they stay with the same sport until they become an expert level or if they want to try... 10 sports in 10 years and and how are they going to know what's for them e- unless they try them all
0: exactly so wh- what kind of sport were you because i get that it's i you a you're kind of a a paradox in the sense that you are a creative you you definitely express yourself as and i can hear things in terms of a, as, as a writer or as as a kind of a as an actor but also and as a performer but there's also this side of you that's very strong in the sort of the physicality in the sports. Yeah. So what is, and I can see it on your face. So what is, what was your sport and what was like, what is your sport? Like how are you in your body?
1: Yeah. So I was a competitive gymnast and ah. I was in competition. I was in provincials. So I was, you know, going to provincial championships. I wow. was in provincials. I think by the time I was like eight years old. Wow I was doing provincial competitions eight or nine, something like that. Um I started competing in first grade. I think I was five because my birthday's in September. so I think I might oh. have been five. Happy birthday Thanks. it's on Monday
0: <laughs> okay <laughs>
1: thanks. yeah so. So yeah, I was five, barely six years old when I started gymnastics competitions, wow. and gymnastics is unlike any
0: other. Sp- Brutal gymnastics is the acting of sports. I don't know. What
1: yeah, that means. no, it it really <laughs> is because it's like you need to have everything, yeah, in order to master that sport, and and that's the thing too. It's like you can take an, a gymnast and you can insert them into almost every sport. And give them, give them like a day or two and they'll mm-hmm. be able to become proficient at it. Just because of the level of strength, agility, adaptability, coordination, flexibility, sure. it like translates. Meanwhile, you take a ballet dancer, you put her on a balance beam, doesn't mean she's going to be able to, sure, sure, sure. you know, or even
0: we're going to start a huge war between <laughs> it's like <all> these like <laughs> gymnasts watch well, out the gymnasts are taking over i love it
1: well but, but but the thing is it's true because we have the four apparatuses so it's like you need to be you need to be so conditioned yeah in order to be able to do it like the amount of upper body strength you need to be able to do the uneven bars and what Mm -hmm. people don't understand if they're not in the sport is you can't compete on just one event only the olympics have you know Uh, a gold medal for the event but you have to compete on all four events Ah. in order to do to do competition so you have to be proficient at them all so yeah um i was climbing out of my crib at six months old and my mother just didn't know what to do with me and just like (laughs) took me to the because my mother's like she's gonna climb she's gonna do all these things anyways I might as well put her in an environment where it's safe
0: (laughs) I love that that's that consistency of training in gymnastics is comparable and it, it like found a home on stage and found a home to be a writer because to be like, this is like, you need that tenacity to keep going every day, you know, keep.
1: And the discipline and, and you're just up against yourself every day. Like it was, it's a solo sport. So I definitely attribute my, my discipline, my confidence, my risk taking because the type of risks you take when you're Mm -hmm. learning those new tricks, I attribute all of those things to my um, training as a gymnast. I think that was like a solid foundation um, not just a physical foundation for me moving forward with my life but all of the all of the things that you have to um, face yep. in terms of like,
0: the hardships and the for sure
1: yeah and also like you know when I was a kid like I remember there was one competition where I didn't win a medal and I won Mm. a ribbon and I threw the ribbon in the garbage and my mother went Uh. and fished the ribbon you know what I mean Uh because uh, you know so uh, like understanding and my own values of what's good enough and what's Mm -hmm. acceptable and like I didn't think of. fifth place ribbon was even worth bringing home. Like I literally crumpled it up and threw it in the garbage. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I don't, I think I might've been 10 and I'm like, Mm. what? (laughs) Forget this, you know, and, but also pushing myself to be better, pushing myself to be better all the time. And so it was, it was a great foundation for sure.
0: Okay. Well, New York state of mind, Jennifer Lieberman, uh, I think, I think we have so much material and we've covered so much ground. I just wonder, like, can you put this in a, in a little, in a bouquet and put a bow on it and sum it all up? Or do you think it's more messy? Like how would you? So
1: I, I'd say like, if you wanted to sum up my life and my achievements in one little sentence, nobody would let me in the door. So I went and built my own house. Nice. That's kind of there how I go. feel about my career at this stage.
0: There we go, Jen. That's perfect.
1: <laughs> thanks.
0: Here, I'm giving you my elbow. There you go. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks, so, for, thanks so much for all your patience. We made it, we got it done.
1: Yay. Thank you, too. You're and awesome. thank you for your patience. Seriously, the past month has <laughs> I'm been sure. insane. Book events, Toronto Film Festival, like I was running around TIFF like a chicken with my head cut off. So thank you for your patience and for not giving up on me.
0: Um, Jen, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Ren.
0: These things always end in a really kind of awkward way. I know. <laughs> I'll edit it. I'll edit it. Don't yeah. Work. Well,
1: thank you so much and keep me posted and sure. stay in touch. And I yep. look forward to the link when it's ready.
0: Yep. yep. Shooting it raw? Yes. Shooting it raw.